Hello, everyone. It's Pastor Alan here again from my home to wherever you are as you're watching this. This is my message that is uh, prepared for May the 3rd, 2020. We are still in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. In fact, in the way that I've been marking the days, I started with the first Sunday that we couldn't meet as a church community, and that was March the 15th. And so that makes uh, this message for day 50. It's hard to believe that it's been going on for so long, and at this point it looks like things aren't going to be opening up that much anytime soon. We don't expect to be gathering as a community again uh, publicly uh, for the next little while, maybe sometime this summer. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we need to remain truly isolated from one another. And as I've been encouraging everyone week by week, as I've been sharing these messages, please stay in touch. If you haven't heard from anyone and you have any needs, questions, concerns, you want prayer, you just want somebody to talk to, please be reaching out to people that you that you know. And if you're not too sure how to contact people, please send me an email at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca, and I'll be in touch with you, or someone else will be in touch with you. We don't need to be alone during this time. Also, one of the concerns that we have, and we're not the only community organization uh, that is having issues financially, um, and there have been people wondering how best they could continue to support our community. Um, and I'm speaking here specifically to members of the congregation, friends of the congregation. What we're encouraging everyone, uh, the preferred way to be giving at this time is online. And if you go to the allsaintslutheran.ca website, there's a We Give uh, button to click. If you need help in knowing exactly how to do this, how to be set up with a system that we use called Tithely, tithely, uh, please be in touch with us and we can help you. If that is not an option for you, you could still mail in uh, your donations uh, to uh, the church, um, or somebody could pick it up or we could arrange something. So if you can, please, we want to encourage everybody to keep on their normal giving during this difficult time, and you could do this in, in one of these ways. Again, reach out to me or someone in the church community, and we, we would be happy to help. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark that I've called The Remarkable Gospel. We are going to be, God willing, finishing up chapter 6 in this message, and it's been quite a chapter. A lot has happened uh, in the various incidences that we've been encountering in this particular chapter. We're going to be looking at another familiar story, the story of Jesus walking on the water, uh, it's told in such a way, the whole gospel, as I've mentioned up till now, that the way this story of Jesus is presented to the listener or to the reader is in such a way to evoke response. And we see people, even Jesus himself, uh, reacting to the various things that are going on. And there is a re there's a reaction here in this particular passage that is is calling us to, to question our own reaction to to the story. And, and to be honest, I had a really hard time, in, in some sense, I'm still having a hard time really capturing what it is that God is seeking to say to us, say to me, in, in this particular passage. 
Um, and so hopefully, even as I share this with you, um, I'm going to be learning something. I know I've been challenged. I hope you are challenged too. Not, not just troubled, but challenged unto what God really wants to do in our hearts and our lives because of what we encounter here. And so uh, this passage, Jesus walking on the water, and then we're going to see that there's a, a few verses following that we're also going to be look, looking at that are essential to understanding what's going on in this passage. The story of Jesus walking on the water is very connected to what comes or what came just before that we looked at last week, which was the feeding of the crowds. Now, this particular story, Jesus walking on the water, is also told in Matthew 14 uh, and John 6. And in each of these, in each of these three uh, retellings of Jesus walking on the water, in Matthew, here in Mark, and in John, each time it immediately follows what we looked at last week, which was the feeding of the large crowd, the feeding of the 5,000. And that connection is very, very important, as we're going to see. So to get the context of uh, of this story that we're looking at this week in or the stories that we will see in Mark 6, 45 through 53, uh, we're going to be starting at verse 30 to get the context. So I'll be reading Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30 and going to the end of the chapter. After I read, then I'll pray, and then, with God's help, try to unpack what he is trying to say to us in this message. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30, I'm reading from the Uh, English Standard Version. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they, when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, 
and were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful power of your son, his compassion as expressed at the end of this passage in these healings. Lord, help us to have a better understanding of your compassion, of your power, and of your presence because of of what we will look at at this time in your word. Please help me in, in presenting your truth and your goodness through through this recording. Please come, Lord, and show yourself mighty and powerful at this time and in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the story, Jesus walking on the water, very familiar to to most of us, if not all of us. Uh, It's really hard to imagine hearing this for the first time. For many of you, you probably heard this story since you were a child, and you may not remember your reaction the first time you heard it. But picture now, uh, probably Peter, probably in Rome, maybe elsewhere, on in a, in a public square, telling the story loudly for the crowds to hear. And many of these people would be hearing this story for the very first time. And of course, the characters in the story have never experienced this before. And at, you know, at, on one hand, we need to understand that these stories were written after they were done. And in the Gospel of Mark, there's already some reflection going on. And there's lessons that that Mark is, is trying to get us to learn. At the same time, we need to get into the boat with the disciples and try to experience this with them for the very first time. So verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, Bethsaida, where he dismissed the, while he dismissed the crowd. I'd be careful not to go too fast. And so right away, we see that they were finishing up what we looked at last time with the feeding of this large crowd of maybe 15,000 people, 5,000 men. And for whatever reason, uh, the Lord tells his followers, his disciples, uh, the 12, to get into the boat, and, and he's going to meet them later on the other side. And he dismisses the crowd. Verse 46, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And so what's coming is being set up. He's setting up the disciples for the experience that they're going to have, sending them in the boat. He dismisses the crowd, and he goes up on the mountain to pray. We also see here, and it's not the first time, Here, we're told right at the beginning of the gospel of of Mark that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Very clear right at the beginning. And we are reminded that even the Son of God needed time to pray. It's, It's possible that it's because of what was going to be occurring in the next few hours. We don't know exactly how long, but it's possible that he was praying for hours before 
this incident happens with the disciples. Um, we don't read these stories simply to look at what Jesus is doing and, and be in awe. We are learning practical help. And if the Son of God needed to pray, so do we. And often we have to, just like him, we need to get away from it all, get away from the crowds, get away from people who are close to us, and take time with our Father who is in heaven. Verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. How exactly he was seeing them, it was uh, at this time, uh, it says it was evening, but it wasn't twilight. It was it was probably well into the night at this point. Um, we don't know exactly what time we're going to be. We know what time it was approximately when he encounters them on the water. We'll see that in a moment. Um, but the thing that we need to notice is here they are yet again having trouble on the water. Now the water for the, the Jewish people at that time was a, a was a, a was a difficult place. The whole Bible begins with with this chaotic scene in Genesis chapter one with the spirit of God hovering over the waters and so the waters seem to uh, uh, symbolize and in in many ways it's not just a symbol. The water is an uncontrollable place to be. And so here's the second story that we have in the Gospel of Mark, where the followers of the Messiah are struggling in that place of, of where that's difficult to control. The wind is heavy against them, and they're having trouble uh, rowing. They're not making headway. They're not getting to where they need to go. And many hours have passed. It's very possible, even if they left quite late, that they should have gotten to the other side a long time ago. And maybe in your life right now, you feel that you should be a lot further ahead than you are right now. And that most of your life, or maybe you're in a situation right now, with or without COVID-19, where you are struggling against the wind and you can't get to where you believe you need to go. Now, maybe you're not going in the direction you should be going in. In this case, they're going exactly where, where Jesus told them to go, and yet they were having great trouble. Verse 48, the, the first part of verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Uh, the fourth watch was the final watch of the night, and it's between th- what we now call 3 and 6 a.m. So we're approaching the time where the sun is, up, is going to be coming up soon. So, so as I said, they were probably on the water for hours and here comes Jesus walking on the water. And I think this is supposed... Now, they're going to be freaked out. They're going to be really, really scared. But as the hearer, as the reader of the story, I think we're supposed to see this as actually really, really funny. Because here are these grown men. Four of them are fishermen. They know the water like the back of their hand. And here they are yet again struggling as well get out against the wind. Their lives aren't in danger. They're just probably really frustrated. They're probably exhausted after quite a time of serving thousands of people this food in this miraculous sort of way. And they're having trouble. And here, do, 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 do. I don't know if he was humming. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. Um, and uh, just... And it's, I think it's supposed to be really, really funny, and especially as the observer, because these grown men are, are going to be freaked out of their minds. Uh, 
goes on, and he meant to pass them. We're not really sure this little phrase he meant to pass them. We're not too sure. Scholars are not too sure exactly what the Mark's intention was in describing it this way. Uh, whether it looked like he was going to pass by, uh, whether he was intending to, you know, hi guys, and <laughs> make it to the shore. We're, we don't really know. Um, but still, it, it, it emphasizes that from Jesus' point of view, this was kind of like not normal because we don't know of any other time that he did this, but it wasn't a real big deal to, to him. It was a real big deal to them, as we're going to see here. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they didn't think it was funny. They thought it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. Now, remember, they don't know this story. They're in the middle of it. This has never happened before. Here they are struggling so much. And, and you know, when you're exhausted, your emotions can do all sorts of things. Uh, we're not too sure exactly what uh, the, the right word is for where it's in, in this translation. It says they, uh, they thought it was a ghost with some sort of apparition. They, they didn't, was it a real person? Was it a, uh, a phantom? Was it, what was it? They, they didn't really know. Uh, they didn't really know what it was, but they saw a human figure of some sort walking on the water, and they were terrified. And immediately spoke to them. There's that common word in the Gospel of Mark, straight away. It happens in an instant. Right away, this thing happens. He spoke to them and said, and in, in English, it sounds like this, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It was windy. It probably didn't sound, it was probably, it, it was some sort of, buck up, boys, it's me. Stop being afraid. It was probably more a little bit like that with some sort of accent. Well, to them, probably didn't sound like an accent. If we were, if we were somehow transported time travel, we'd, we wouldn't even understand it because they were talking most likely Aramaic. Um, but anyway, uh, what I'm trying to emphasize here is this is he's not talking formally to them he's trying to calm them down by telling them hey guys it's me stop being so afraid and this is this is a this take heart is really key in what's going on here because wouldn't we all be reacting like them now hearing it for the first time we might chuckle but we're supposed to understand how afraid these grown men were and how out of sorts they were. And yet the Lord's words to them as he, so he encounters them or they encounter him, but then his encounter with them and he sees how afraid they are is, is, is this, it's this term like be of good cheer. It's, it's similar to in the gospel of John in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, uh, have courage. I have overcome the world. And it's not, what he's saying to them is not in the sense of, they're there, guys, it's okay, it's only me, calm down. He's telling them, and I, there's an English expression, buck up. It's like, shore up your heart. Your heart stop letting your heart melt. Stop becoming unglued. You know, Put yourself together, man. It's it's that sort of idea. Like, is be men, men, be strong, uh, embolden yourself. And but the strange part is, is that he would expect them to respond in that way. 
that somehow they're they're not so much take this in stride because this was a very unusual thing that was happening among many un- other unusual things that were happening in their journeys with Jesus that he was telling them not so much so not so much to take it in stride but to not overreact and not melt not become unglued but in some way they were to be ready for this extreme unusual event because it was Jesus. Okay, verse 51. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished. So first they were terrified. And sorry if it's too colloquial for for some, but they were freaked out of their minds. Now he's in the boat. The wind stopped. So picture, you know, it's all dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. And then it's calm. And they were utterly astonished. And there's that's why I'm calling this a remarkable gospel. So much reaction. They are astounded. And, and in the Greek, it's very much exceedingly astounded. So it's similar to the calming of the storm. But the question is, why were they so astounded in the way that they were? Why were they astonished to that extent? In verse 52, comments on it. And this is a comment that the narrator of the story is saying. We don't know if Jesus had mentioned this to them, but uh, there's a similar comment that's going to come up in chapter 8. We won't go there now, of course. We'll get there in a few weeks, God willing. But let's look at verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's this statement that actually has been causing me a lot of trouble as I've been preparing to share this message with you right now. The reason why they were very much exceedingly astonished is because they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You would expect that, oh, they didn't understand about the calming of the sea. Somehow they didn't get that message, but no. They didn't understand about the loaves. And this, as I said, this comes up again with something else the Lord's going to try to be teaching them in chapter 8, and they don't get it. They completely miss what he's saying because they didn't understand about the loaves. There's something about the feeding of the crowds, the multiplication of the, the, the loaves and the fish that happened twice. It's, remember last week I said it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually about 15,000. It's mentioned in all four Gospels. The failure of them to understand that miracle prevented them from responding to his walking on the water in the way that they should have. That should be a big deal. For the hearer, for the reader, for us, this explanation for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, it should be a big deal because this is telling us the failure to understand one lesson results in the failure to understand other lessons. Do you remember, for some of you, this is going to be bringing up, but this is going to be painful memories. Remember math class. Math is, 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 is like this, but not for the exact same reason. 
when we were learning arithmetic and math, it was so important to be learning each lesson in sequence. And if ever you were sick and you, and you didn't do the extra work to catch up and you came back to class, it was very difficult to understand the new lessons because the new lessons were based on what came before. It's like a chain. And if the chain got broken, it was very difficult to, to keep up. I don't know if that's the best illustration, but I, I think you understand what I mean. I'm not sure this is exactly like that because it's not as if you need to hear lesson one from Jesus, lesson two from Jesus, lesson three from Jesus. So if you, if you miss lesson two, then you're not going to understand lesson three, that sort of thing. Except this particular thing, fail, the failure to learn the lessons of the loaves results in the failure to learn the lesson of the walking on the water and other lessons, as we'll see in chapter eight. The, the multiplication of the food is an essential lesson. Now, here's one of the problems that we face and, and as moderns. It's our problem with miracles. And it's not that we don't believe in miracles. That's a problem too. That can be a problem too. If we actually don't believe that these supernatural events have, took place through Jesus. Um, but for those of us who believe that he actually did these things, just like the Bible says, we miss something. And what we miss is that Jesus acts of wonder, these what we would call supernatural events, are not there to simply create a wow factor. Look what Jesus did. He's amazing. Oh, he's God become a man. I should worship him. There is some of that. But it's not just to put us in this, whoa, look at Jesus. He's amazing. Remember last week? Where did the miracle happen? It it, they gave the little bit that they had, they gave it to Jesus, and then he gave it to them to give to the people. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. Jesus empowered his followers to do the extraordinary. And somehow they failed to understand that. They fail to understand. So let me, let me get back here. The Bible doesn't use the word miracle as a way to denote God's acts of wonder. It uses the word wonder and uses the word sign. These were signs. When Jesus did these acts, they were signs, and a sign is something that points to something else. They signify something. In English, sign and signify are related because an, the act that he did was to demonstrate something else that they and we are supposed to understand. He wasn't showing them that, oh, we could, we could basically do magic. You have a little bit of food? Just say, the, say a prayer? Or the, say the magic formula and you can have more food. That's not what it's about. We're not there to learn that Jesus was some sort of magician that was able to do all sorts of wonders whenever he want, wanted to. 
Because we even see in the Gospel of Mark that when he was in Nazareth, because of the people's unbelief, his power was limited. And that's really difficult for a lot of people to understand. But as whenever the will of, of the Father was at work in seeking to do something like it was with the feeding of the 5,000 and later on the feeding of the 4,000, anything was possible. And the anything that's possible was to happen in the hands of his followers. So what was being signified through the feeding of the crowds? It, and it was that the messianic age was dawning when God was going to break the curse that came upon the whole creation, human beings, and, and, and the whole creation all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when things broke and stopped being the way they were designed to be and everything went out of whack. And from that time, God was determined to restore all things and, and bring about a recreation and reestablish everything that human beings were meant to be and better and more. And that the anticipation of this that built through the pages of what we now call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that it was actually happening in Jesus' day. And so if they would have understood what the feeding of the crowd signified, the time of renewal was at hand, then while there was would be some level of surprise when Jesus came to them walking on the water, they should not have been so astonished. Because what was going on was that God was restoring a human authority over the the powers of darkness and over the earth. And so that he would be walking on the uncontrollable water should not have been a complete blow-your-mind surprise to the disciples. It should have been, oh, more of the same, because Jesus is here. And so then once Jesus gets into the boat everything calms down. And isn't that our problem? We, Our biggest problems are when we are seeking to live life without Jesus with us. We can even be seeking to do His will, and yet without Him in the boat of our lives, we are just painfully row- rowing against all the obstacles. We should not be so surprised when he shows up because if we are his people, he's coming. He's coming. And perhaps one of the reasons to tell the story to the crowds of Peter's day and Mark's day is Jesus had come and he's now at the Father's right hand. His Spirit is with us, but we're awaiting his return. And in the meantime, sometimes we find ourselves rowing and again and the obstacles seem to be preventing us from doing what we need to do and then he shows up and he wants to show up and we shouldn't be so surprised when he shows up and i could tell you so many stories i call them miracle stories but they should be science to teach me and my family and all of us the, the many ways that when we've been in difficulty and then god comes through and so often I confess to you, I've been so surprised. And I call it these things, oh, it was unbelievable what God did. And there's something in, that, that is indicting and in saying that unbelievable. It shouldn't be so unbelievable. 
It should be, when is God coming through for us? It's hard right now, but he's going to break through. And it shouldn't be a huge surprise when he shows up. We should be expecting him to show up. And we should be waiting for him to show up in our lives. And that we should be looking to him to help us when we're rowing against the, the wind. We should be looking for him coming on the water to help us. Because of the time, I'm not going to go into the next section in detail. But the next section, when they get to the other side with Jesus, and people are coming from all over the place, and, and, even, and they're looking even to touch the fringe of his garment. It's, it's reminiscent of the story of the woman with the flow of blood from a few weeks ago, where she pushes through the crowd and, and touches Jesus' garment and is instantly healed of a, of a 12-year-old hemorrhage. So now other people are doing it. And it, it seems to be in contrast to the disciples. The disciples are not getting it. And they're not getting it because their hearts are hard. But the people who don't know any better, they hear the story of, of Jesus has come to heal people. And they heard, have heard of other people who have been healed. And now they want to be healed. And they'll do anything they can to come and touch, just touch him. And they're healed. They're, everyone's healed from all the towns and villages. But the disciples are not getting it. The disciples in the story are like the people in Mark chapter 4. We talked about the parables. And, and Jesus tells his followers that everything's told in parables so that the people on the outside, that as, as long as they stay outside, they're not going to get it. That the parables are designed to draw people in. And now he calls these, these disciples to him. And they're now the insiders in his circle of followers. And yet they're behaving like outsiders. And isn't that the case? Those of us who claim to be so close to, to the Lord often behave like outsiders. We're not getting it. God, help us. God, forgive us. We need to pray that we understand the significance of the things that he's done in the past, whether it be in the Bible or in centuries before our time, or in our personal lives in the past, or what he's doing now. God, help our hearts to be soft, that we would learn the lessons that he wants us to learn. We need to ask his forgiveness for how we've been clued out, and for how overwhelmed we are when he finally shows up, rather than welcoming him in his in his in his divine power and in, in doing whatever he wants to do and take us onto the water and take us into difficult places where, and, and when he takes us there, we should not be afraid. And we need to look to him that he would enable us and equip us to do what we need to do in our day. May God help us learn the lessons that we were supposed to learn. It's not too late to learn them now if we would allow God to soften our hearts and welcome him, that we would be enabled to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. And in this time, and I want to close with this, I want to challenge us all. Are there things that we have been, we've been pushing and pushing and grunting and groaning and not getting forward, things were in our lives that God wants us to do? Let's ask him into our hearts and our lives in a fresh way that he would enable us to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. There might be that person that you've been too afraid to reach out to. And it may be decades have gone by and there's somebody that you need to forgive. There's somebody that you need 
to ask forgiveness from, somebody you just need to contact, or there's a thing that's been left undone. And I, I think I've talked about this before, but it's, it's worth repeating, especially in this time of COVID-19 isolation. We've got the time. I know some of us are really, really busy. Then we need to make time. Let's not be distracted by how crazy busy we are now, maybe working at home, looking at the kids. Is there something that we've left undone? Or maybe we're doing what we should be doing, but we're grunting and groaning against the wind because Jesus may not be in the boat that he, in the way that he, we need him to be. Because we might have to change course. We might have to change method if we're going to do life the way that he wants us to. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you want to be in the boat with us. And Lord, sometimes it seems that you have left us in a very difficult place, all in in the middle of the night. And then you want to surprise us. But we shouldn't be so surprised because you promised to be with us. So Lord, please find your way into every area of our lives that we would be free to follow you in the way that we should. And that if there are just our adjustments, if there are adjustments that need to be made in our lives, lessons that we have failed to learn that we still need to learn, or new lessons that we need to learn, adjustments we need to make to our lives, steps that we need to take, whatever it is, Lord, would you come into the boat of our lives right now and do what you desire to do? Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns, you can reach out to me by emailing me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.